Welcome to Making Oregon, a podcast that brings you conversations with innovators, makers, and groundbreakers from all across our state. They talk with us about what they're doing to make Oregon the best place we know to create a diverse and prosperous economy. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Terry St. Marie, co-founder of Built Oregon, and I'm here today with our producer, Davia Larson. Hi, Davia. Hey, Terry. So, Davia, today we're talking to Zeph Shepard, who's the founder of Proletariat Butchery in Portland. And you visited him, uh, and that's why I, I wanted to have this conversation with you today before we started, because it was a fascinating experience, wasn't it? Yeah, his shop is interesting. He's, uh, it's undergoing kind of a remodel right now, and he's doing a lot of it himself. And he, he calls this whole thing the journey of all things meet. And you had a chance to talk to him at length before we did the podcast. And what was it about that journey and his philosophy that was interesting to you? Well, what I appreciate about Zeph is the fact that he has sort of innately this big idea about saving the earth. But he's also very rigorous in his thought. And he'll talk about his background in education that lead him to this way of thinking and rethinking ideas, and he's closed in over time on this idea of butchery and how to take uh, everything he believes about saving the earth and wrap it into uh, the practice that he, the business that he has right now, and he will just keep iterating and iterating until he becomes ever more precise, ever more conscious um, of his practices so that it fits his idea of saving the earth. It's very precise. Sure, so like butcher and philosopher. Right, all wrapped in one. So yeah. what was it like to actually be in his shop? <laughs> well, his shop is, like I say, it's undergoing some renovations. It's incredibly unpretentious. It's uh, right next to a bar on Northeast Fremont. He welcomes clients in when it's when he gets to this little phase, and you can go in there, he'll give you a beer, he'll give you a glass of wine, talk to you about meat, answer any questions you have about his process. And then if you don't know how to use all of the parts of the meat that come off the animal, he will teach you how to do that so that his clients also become part of his philosophy of not wasting, of using the whole animal. It's very uh, systematic. Well, I had and I had a great conversation with him, and and in this conversation, he's also going to talk about why he named his butchery proletariat. I think that was an interesting story, you know. And and, and just being an entrepreneur, I mean, he he's a he's quite the do-it-yourselfer. Yes, and again, his shop is a testament to that. He showed me a table with a wood top, and a powder-coated black metal base that he welded himself. He found a metalsmith, used his space, just bought his materials, and made this table himself. And it's nicely done. And I don't run across that many people that actually have this many DIY skills. Like, he, he really does have a really well-rounded and expansive um, ability to execute with his with his hands and his mind on these different things. Well, I, for one, had a great discussion with him, as I know he had. And so let's get right to the podcast. Zeph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So um, you're not from here, right? You're from no, the East Coast. I am from Boston Metro, not proper. Boston yes. Metro. Yeah. Um, so South what Shore. South Shore. Yep. Park the car. Yeah, I don't want to swear on this podcast right now, but if I could, I would, because then you know it from the South Shore. So... 
how had how had your childhood in, <laughs> in Boston? See, I'm trying to even do the accent. Um, how has that how has that shaped um, uh, your life so far? Uh, yeah, so growing up south of Boston, um, grew up frugal in a religious family. Uh, my dad, my parents uh, started a church, uh, which is really good. Um, positive, open experience, uh, contrary to what most people experience in mm -hmm. that setting. Um, but we grew up really frugal. And then also just kind of the East Coast mentality was very much like eating hot dogs and Doritos and this kind of large-scale mass-produced food. And, and that's what I knew as normalcy. Um, and so that's what I was around, but it always never, it never really uh, fully sat with me completely. Um, partly because growing up in a frugal uh, family, we would make all of our own food. Like we didn't eat out, we didn't buy a bunch of pre-made food. It was always like cooking at home because that was yeah. what was nutritious. You know, my parents loved us and wanted us to eat like good, wholesome, nutritious food. And then also it was just like buying pre-made food and all that stuff was a lot more expensive. So financially it didn't make sense for us as well. Um, and as I look in retrospect, I really think that uh, laid some significant groundwork and kind of a foundation that I started to work off of um, in college and in my adulthood, and now you know finally with my butcher shop for sure. So what what was what was your favorite meal back then? What was the one that's mm. just like wow? Um, know, I really I'm really looking forward to eating this. <laughs> I, I think ironically. Um, you know, because every kid liked junk food. It would yeah. like once every couple of weeks we'd order Bill Ho Bill's House of Pizza. <laughs> Bill's House of Pizza. That sounds <laughs> which is you know like crappy old pizza. But yeah. I think uh, probably meatloaf, um, pork chops were good. We ate a lot of meatloaf and pork chops for sure. Uh huh. Um, oh, my mom made a really good baked casserole, like uh, and macaroni and cheese. Oh, those casseroles were good, right? Yeah, yeah. and then uh, often, uh, not Sunday morning because we had church and stuff, but Saturday morning, my dad would usually cook a pretty big breakfast with pancakes and eggs and bacon, and sometimes he'd even make donuts. We'd get wow. out like a uh, you know, little hot pot or something, or he had this little deep fryer type thing, and he'd get the beignet mix, and we'd make our own donuts, which was pretty cool. Um, and so I think that also kind of instilled this sense of like, I mean, it's a catchphrase now, but DIY, like doing things, and that creates a, a deeper sense of um, connection and uh, gratitude for it. Right. You're like, all right, sweet, I made this. Like, I didn't just buy this and see this as a, a financial commodity that I can either afford to waste. You know, it's like, no, I put some effort into it. So that creates, I think, a, a larger, um, yeah, gratitude for it. Sure, and... Um I think you've told me this too before mm -hmm. that you had like a, a sort of a seminal moment that sort of was food related at some sort of pig roast. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, I mean, everybody gets their seminal moment from pig roast. Yeah, I, I mean, think. I didn't know it was Not everybody, as um, a profound experience uh, at that point, other than I, you know, grew up, we, you know, you just eat hot dogs and pre made hamburgers and everything was just kind of normal, kind of bland regular food, nothing um, super interesting and provocative, I guess. And so, uh, yeah, going to a pig roast for like a summer barbecue just kind of blew my head open. I was like, whoa, 
And this is a whole this pig is, thing? The whole yeah, pig yeah, rest. whole pig, yep. And somebody was chopping it up, and I was like, this is rad. Like, I didn't know that this existed. Really. I mean, you do, because you've seen it in a movie or something, but in real life, it was my first experience of, like, something super cool around food. You know, like, food was, it was good, and you liked it, but it wasn't anything um, that excited you to a degree. Uh, and so that was, that, after that, I was like, I'm going to roast a pig one day when I'm like an adult or something, you know? So you set uh, your ambition. You were going to yeah, roast a pig. Yeah, I set my pig. ambition. Yeah, I had no idea it was going to lead to a butcher shop right now, but it, that's now that's it's in conclusion, yeah. Well, I know we'll get there, but let's let's keep filling in the blanks a little bit. Yeah. So, so, so you had this sort of like experience. Yep. And, and then you stayed out east to go to school. Where'd you go to school out there? No, I, I left when I was 18, actually. 18. Um, so I moved... Um, to Seattle to go to school in Seattle, uh, initially for soccer and to just get out of the East Coast. I didn't find a huge connection. I wanted to move to the West Coast, so I applied to schools all along the West Coast. I was like, I don't care where I go. I just want to get to the West Coast. Sure. I want to surf. I want to backpack, just be in nature, big mountains. Um, I was a snowboarder at the time. I still kind of am, even though I just tried skiing for the first time the other day. Um, was there education in here someplace? Yeah. So I decided to go to school in Seattle. Uh, it was a great experience, best choice of my life. Um, my education, I studied sociology and philosophy, which um, also had a really significant impact on how I see things and how I view things and how I think about life and my trajectory. And yeah. Yeah, um, what kind of perspective did it, did it give you? I mean, where, um, so where is I think, so where does that, where was that base sort of? Uh, good for for you to yeah it just helped me i mean i was talking about this jamie earlier um it helped me be a bit more of an independent thinker and kind of take a step out of what normalcy is and reevaluate it and and consider it through a different lens um and not just kind of be a sheep and follow the herd and do what's right and you know we'll talk about this later about my butcher shop how that general mentality has really informed um my life pretty significantly uh, yeah, so I, I tend to be fairly independent and ornery sometimes. Independent, ornery, very active outside. You yep. said you've talked about soccer, snowboarding, yep. windsurfing, backpacking. backpacking. Yep. Um, so you, you, you had this adventuresome mm -hmm. uh, bug in you, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's manifesting right now as an entrepreneurial endeavor. You know, like that that adventurous thing is... Yeah. coming out as an entrepreneur now. So with all that in the hopper, how did it end up circling back to that pig and to the meat and to being a butcher? Yeah, so in college, I tried to roast a pig with a few friends and people just like, this is the thing I, I have struggled with about the Pacific Northwest or the West Coast is like on the East Coast, people are committed and they, they're loyal and they like do what they say and follow through. And here people are kind of, I don't know, just not as good at following through and kind of flakes sometimes. So I tried to do it with a few friends and whatever, and it just didn't pan out. And then um, gave up on the idea a little bit. But I knew it was going to happen. I was like, all right, got to take a break because it's just not happening. So when I moved here to Portland um, a few years after college uh, for a job, I was like, all right, I'm going to roast a pig. If I have to do it on my own, I don't really care. I'm just going to, it's going to happen because I'm sick this and tired of it. This is a dream, right? You yeah, this is like since 14. And I was like, you know, 26 at the time or so and I was like I want to do this and it was really rad my brother my younger brother um, he came out to live with me for a few months and that was like perfect because then I had like my wingman 
kind of my sidekick to like get stuff done. He was like, yeah, let's roast the pig. And it was like him and I just grinding away at it, like, well, literally and figuratively. We went and got this old big propane thing that we illegally bought after hours from a propane, you know, decommissioning place and mm-hmm. cajoled into giving us a propane tank. And he's like, don't blow yourself up. <laughs> you know, there's residual fumes in there. And oh, dear. Yeah. So my brother and I are like, well, I love you. I love you. Let's see if it blows up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you had that moment, a moment I mean, of it truth. Was, huh? It was empty, but there's fumes emanating around in it. So um, anyways, we had to cut the thing open. So we went through like, we got a reciprocating saw. I went through like, I don't know, at least a half a dozen metal blades. Oh my God. Got a grinder with a cutting wheel. Went through at least like 20 cutting wheels because it was just super thick. But anyways, got all that done. Finally roasted a pig. And the idea behind roasting the pig was definitely in response to uh, my childhood and going to parties and and seeing how humanity had these um, consistent patterns of wasting when we had leisure and and i didn't really want to accept that premise of like okay if we're going to have a leisure activity waste is going to be created i don't think that that is true to human history overall and it's just Mm -hmm. become something new in the past whatever hundred years and it's having a huge degrading effect on the earth um and so i didn't want to follow that i I felt like no i need to to change that legacy uh, however i can or just be an independent thinker and be like, all right, cool. How am I going to throw a dope, dope party and not waste a bunch of stuff? So, um, Boy, that's interesting because not a lot of people are thinking about that when they throw a party. No, not at all. They're just thinking about having a good time right. and not like the, the residual and direct impact of our actions and choices. Right. And so, um, yeah, so I was like, all right, how's this going to happen? All right, I'm going to get a keg of beer. I'm going to get a pig to roast over a fire. So I built the rotisserie, got a keg of beer, and I sent out an email, and I said basically, hey, I don't want to create any waste to throw a party, so bring a pint glass or some vessel to hold beer, I'll have beer, bring your own cutlery, bring your own plate, bring your own cloth towel for a napkin or whatever. I'll have a little 15-gallon jug with some Dawn soap um, if you feel like you need to wash your stuff at the end of the party, but I just don't want to create any waste to throw a good time, and I don't really think that it's a necessity to so i'm not going to and how did that go over it went over great yeah everybody's like this is rad and you know it's kind of a potluck thing so i was like i'll have a pig keg of beer you know bring a salad bring some bread maybe bring some desserts whatever some superfluous things Mm -hmm. on the side um yeah it was awesome like there were some huge problems there but overall it was absolute success really fun um yeah and it was a really and so the pig Meat tasted good. You did a good job of yeah, roasting the Yeah, I pig. did okay. I mean, now that I do it professionally <laughs> and, and I do a really good job at it. How would you grade yourself now in retrospect? Oh, a C. Mm. Yeah. All right, so you passed. Yeah, I passed. Oh, for sure, I passed. I was I was happy with it, but I didn't have a good bearing. Now I'm like, if I if I get like an A or an A minus, I'm I'm pissed at myself. Wow. Usually it's always A plus now, which took a lot of practice, but now it's on lockdown. So you were here in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and what were you doing for work at the time? Uh, I moved here for basically uh, a sustainable building material sales job. Um, I was good at sales, good at talking to people. I'm fairly charismatic, and so sales was kind of a natural inclination. And um, had well, that, an opportunity. And that wasn't too far removed from your thinking about no, sustainability, right? No, not at all. I mean, right? I, mean, this is, I mean, it had to. The thing that will get me up in the morning is 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 the idea that I want to save the earth. Like I want to do something positive. And I don't want to just, like, money doesn't motivate me. Status doesn't really motivate me. 
um, it's kind of like doing what's right and saving the earth and being kind to people and stuff. And so um, selling something that wasn't going to degrade the earth and in fact help the earth was really important to me. So I sold uh, recycled glass tile for backsplashes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but this Indigo building, they probably bought some uh, at some point. Not from me because whatever that that ship sailed a while ago but i sold yeah legitimate sustainable building material um and that tanked with the housing economy and personally through my adulthood i had been you know making pickles and my own jam and going picking my own berries and um doing stuff like that uh and so so you were kind of at a crossroads. Yeah, then. it was a bit of at a crossroads, and I was like, "All right, I will kind of want to continue providing for myself because I'm not really satisfied with this industrial mm-hmm. system, and I see the lingering effects of that industrial system on the earth." And so, um, and then also the frugality from growing up, like doing things on our own and like making our own food and so on and so forth. And um, I remember one time, I I love strawberry ice cream, uh, and I was eating strawberry ice cream, and I was like, "There's just not enough strawberries in this." So I was like, screw it. I'm going to make ice cream. And so I started making my own strawberry ice cream. And I was like, this is way better. Why don't I do this other things? And it just kind of kept on building. Um, and so then I wanted to get into meat because I was like, I'm sick and tired of buying really expensive meat because I wanted to buy good meat from whatever, X, right. Y, and Z. I want to get meat from a farmer and like have that connection and whatever. And um so I was unemployed at the time, and uh, I got a butchering apprenticeship up on Vashon Island, which is another island off the coast of Seattle. I have this crazy connection with islands off the coast An of Seattle. An island butcher apprenticeship. I'm yes. trying to. I'm trying to imagine that. It was crazy, man. I mean, I struck a gold mine, and it was an amazing, unique experience. Uh, How big of a of a of a very small. butcher shop just was this? <laughs> yeah. Smaller than the one I own now, um, which my shop is very small. Um, it was on Vashon Island. It was a meat and dairy farm. So predominantly they'd raise the animals in Vashon Island. And then in downtown Vashon, they had a tiny little like 15 seat restaurant that made dinner once a week. Mm -hmm. And then we had like a little 300 square foot butcher shop. I mean, tiny. And they'd slaughter a lot of the animals on the farm. And then we'd come and hang them in the walk-in. And then we'd cut them up. Um, and put salt on them and make racks of lamb and make rib chops and make roasts and make legs of lamb and make pork chops and ground beef and this, that, and the other thing. Wow. Um, and salami and guanciale and bacon and prosciuttos. And so what was the and, name of your your tr- your, your, your Yoda, your uh, butcher Yoda? Yeah, so uh, his name is uh, Brandon. He was the head butcher there, and yeah. he had just learned how to butcher too. He was super fresh uh, as well. He was a farmhand. Um, and then he, the butcher left and then he took over the butcher shop and just self-taught. And then I came along and then he helped me out, out a lot. And, um, but yeah, Brandon, he now owns, um, Farmstead Meatsmith. They do a lot of, um, farmer direct slaughtering and butchering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, uh, it was on Seabury's farm and then Brandon branched off and did his own thing. But my apprenticeship was at Seabury's. Then I came back to Portland and got offered a job at Pasta Works mm-hmm. to help a few other people start um, converting their meat shop from, you know, industrial bag meat to a full carcass butcher shop. And uh, that continued my hands-on approach. I mean, I was I was on Vashon for a little over three months, three and months. it was like a unique 
super direct hands-on experience. I mean, I talk to a handful of butchers now. They're like, you got like five years of experience in like three months. So like the access that yeah, you have well, to describe doing things. What, and I'm very curious. I think a lot of people, obviously, when they think about the food on their table or the meat they go buy at the supermarket, mm-hmm. it's already it's already been butchered. It's prepackaged. Yeah. They just cook it. They eat it. Yep. Um, I mean, you obviously now you've had you have a unique perspective about yep. You know, from literally butchering the animal, right? I mean, mm-hmm. to killing the animal to processing I don't do any it. killing. Uh, I tried to do that initially, and then I realized I was taking on too much. Um, so I cut out killing. I tried to do that briefly because I wanted to make a full circle, but. It was just way too much, and it didn't make sense logistically, so I had to really kind of pare down and focus. Um, yeah, I would love to eventually do that. I think the first step, to, as a little aside, mm-hmm. first step getting back into slaughtering as a part of proletariat butchery services is I want to do urban chicken slaughtering. So like once a month, we have all these people that have egg layers. They stop laying eggs. You know, what are you going to do with that chicken as a form of stewardship? You know, you bought into this idea. And now you need to finish that uh, to completion. You can ship the chicken off to some farm or whatever, and it sits around, and then it dies of natural causes. Or you can take that chicken and put it towards um, uh, feeding yourself. Um, and so taking it from after it's an egg layer, stop laying eggs, I'll slaughter it for you, and then give it back to you as a chicken for a, a stewing hen. Mm. And then you make soup and stock and you know cocoa bean or something like that. I like the word you use, like stewardship, right? Uh-huh. It's yeah. like, um, and that's that's. I guess that's what I'm driving at with you. you it mm-hmm. sounds like it was very beneficial to you to to actually participate in the experience of preparing, you know, taking that animal, and I guess very in a caring and sort of considered way, um, you know, get it ready for consumption, really, and then using yep. all the parts. And um, I mean. A lot of people just don't even, you know, they they try to put themselves in these sort of mass market because people have read right. books like Fast Food Nation and right. and I mean I that was a really impactful book for me to read that mm-hmm. and to, to describe all the conditions in these slaughterhouses yes, gnarly, and meat processing and yeah I mean how how does what you went through compare to that I mean I, I think that is it is and yeah, that, I mean, that's the way it should be done I would imagine yeah but, I went through a very similar kind of uh, experience when you get exposed to something, you realize, uh, I realized how off it was and how it wasn't stewardship and how it was driven by like a linear economic model. Um, And really, I have a very vegan, vegetarian, philosophical approach to my butchery, you know, like we have no, wait a second. That's an interesting. Yeah. That's, that, that's kind of an oxymoron. <laughs> no, it's thing not at all. We can flush this explain out. How that, long is this podcast? Because this is going to take a long right, time explain, to flush out. Explain this one. Um, so, you know, you have this idea of like Zvek and Vert rationale, you know, and Vert rationale is kind of your overarching guide, like right. your desire. And then how you implement that is Zvek rationale. And so here we have vegans or vegetarians. You know, we differ on killing the animal thing, but, you know, I won't touch upon that. But generally speaking, you know, animal welfare, um, stewardship of the earth, um, being healthy, all these types of things, same with vegetarians. And I have the exact same feelings. Um, And so we share very similar, if not the same, principles, that Vert rationale, but our Zvek rationale, like how we implement that is obviously very different. Um, They don't think uh, that you should, you know. When you say Vec, what is that? 
Uh, Vert and Zvek. So V E R T and then Zvek. It's a Z W E C K E. Mm-hmm. Man, this is one of the people I read in college uh, and after. I can't remember the author, but um, yeah. So it's a philosophy. It's it's a just yeah. It's it's a way to understand. Um, yeah, uh, principle and method. Okay. Essentially, yeah. And yep. so there. So you you really understood this intersection there. Mm-hmm. That you could actually relate what you're doing to the the vegan vegetarian way of thinking. When yeah, it comes we had to very similar sentiments around stewardship and so forth, um, and those massively informed my butcher shop. Uh, you know, one of the things Pasta Works, where I got that job, was like all these people wanted boneless, skinless pork chops and ribeye steaks and some ground beef. And it was like, we're cutting whole animals here. Like we can't give you an infinite amount of pork chops. We get 14 pork chops or 14 rib chops off of uh, a pig, you know, and 30 people come in for rib chops. We have to tell them, well, we don't have any, buy this and buy this and buy this. And and that just had a ton of um, problems. And we ended up throwing away a lot of meat, uh, which I was just couldn't handle. Because um, I came from a very unique butchering apprenticeship where nothing went to waste and everybody bought everything and that wasn't the idea at PostaWorks. And so I, I really kind of had a tough time there. Um, and so that's what prompted you to go off on your own? Then? No, still I was like, all right, we, we parted ways not so amicably, mainly because of those like tensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still had no idea of starting a butcher shop. I was like, all right, I'm just going to cut meat and like really kind of disconnect myself from that system because I've seen it and I've experienced it now and I, I don't think it's good. I don't think it's it's something that I want to partake in. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to cut lamb and be, you know, butcher meat for me and my friends and we'll just share and kind of have a little community of, of meat and I'll use this skill set now to, to provide for my community. Um, and then finally I came around to, I was like, all right, I need to have a bigger impact and this is something I'm really passionate about and thinking about a lot. I'm going to intellectually commit to starting a butcher shop. Now I need to figure out how the hell to do that. Right. Entrepreneur time. Yeah, exactly. Right. Put on the entrepreneurial baseball cap and start whacking away. So how did you figure out how to do that? Uh, You know, it was a confluence of like my upbringing with the frugality and the DIY kind of mentality. And then also um, my experience at um, Seabreeze with Brandon and Farmstead Meatsmith about like doing things old world and simple and uh, really kind of showcasing a basic piece of meat and not dressing it up too much and allowing um, people to learn how to cook well. And then also, you know, I got to practice and get better at butchery at Pasta Works, but taking away that kind of negative experience around like that typical retail sales structure is not good for the farmer. It's not good for the consumer. It's not good for um, the butcher or the the business entity, and so I need to think about that really critically and, and reshape that um, and kind of have a paradigm shift around what it means for us as Americans to consume meat in a responsible fashion. And when you say yeah. consume meat in a responsible fashion, yeah, what exactly does that mean? I don't know. I'm trying I mean, to figure it out still. You mean like? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure you have an answer. I don't know to what that. the hell I'm doing. <laughs> oh, I, I. I, I don't think so. Is that is that mean using the whole animal and not being wasteful? I mean, is it goes yeah, it back is, to your yeah. fruga- yeah. fr- frugality yep. part of you? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the fruit. It's the frugality part, and it's also just a stewardship part. Like here's a living, breathing animal that um, 
grew from the earth earth's resources yeah uh pasture and so forth and getting feed and all this stuff and like the farmer putting energy into it um so we have a responsibility at the end of that life cycle to use all that in efficient um grateful fashion and so that really informs how i cut and so like you know when i cut a lamb say a lamb the carcass weighs 70 pounds um I get the heart, I get the liver, I ask for the stomach, I sometimes get it, um, sometimes the spleen, and I'll freeze that stuff and give that to consumers sometimes if they want it, or I have a few people that like culturally really like it, so maybe I'll stockpile it and give it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, say a 70 pound hanging carcass, I cut the whole thing up, it's all sold, and I maybe have a half to three quarters of a pound of waste. Wow. off of a 70 pound carcass. And that was not the typical experience for a, a regular retail setting. Um, and that has you know, a, a few rippling effects. Economically, I don't have a ton of loss, so I don't need to financially make up for that. So I can pass on that savings to you. Sure. Um, and then from an earth standpoint, like I'm not throwing away um, metabolized uh, grass and pasture and stuff like that. Animal ate it. It produced a protein, and now I want to pass that directly on to us, the highest form of predation that are the final consumers. I see. Um, yeah, so that took a lot of thinking and scratching my head yeah. and experimentation on how to do that in a financially viable way. Well, you need a place to do it, right? Yeah, totally. I, I yep. you couldn't do it in your basement no, or your garage, No, no. Well, right? I did it out of my house that I rented with a couple friends. Just a proletariat didn't even exist, but... Um, I bought like an industrial fridge and put it in the driveway and started cutting meat out of there. Just, you know, in the driveway. Fun. Yeah. I'd set up a table outside and it's like, <laughs> all right, sweet. And I would just do it in the backyard. It was fun, man. It was a cool experience. Um, well, what was the, so how did you finally find a place and, mm. and then finally get your first customer? Yeah. So and, I just found this really inexpensive commissary kitchen in St. John's, um, and started experimenting mm-hmm. with proletariat meat, which is what I called it at the time. Um, and how'd that name come about? Oh, yeah, proletariat. That's a good question. Um, it's an old kind of Russian term. Yes. It's been adopted by the French, which most people kind of are familiar with, where there's the bourgeois, the bourgeoisie, and the proletariat. There are two different kind of social classes. The bourgeois, they're really affluent, wealthy landowners, business owners, and the proletariat were more the peasant folk, the laborers, the workers, somewhat the people that are... Um, underlings of the bourgeoisie Mm -hmm. and for me um this comes from you know my religious background and also my philosophical background like we're intrinsically worthwhile beings and i don't want to see an external value placed on someone whether you make two thousand dollars a year or two million dollars a year like you're a human being and regardless of your financial status or your social status like you are a beautiful worthwhile person and that needs to be acknowledged. Um, and I don't see that being acknowledged very often in society because we have a lot of things set up that that cloud that that concept. Um, and so I really wanted to uh, cut meat for the, the underlings and say, hey, man, like I'm going to give you the bougiest meat ever because you're a worthwhile human being and you shouldn't have to go buy subpar meat because you can't afford it, because you're a different social class, whatever, um, because you're an equally valuable human being. So I wanted to communicate that um, a bit through my butchery. So I, I make a very conscious effort to 
make meat affordable for, you know, say a single mom who has a very modest income. Like, uh, you know, she can't go to Whole Foods and, and spend, you know, 10 to $15 a pound on meat. Um, and, and she should be able to have the same access to that. Sure. You know, this idea of food deserts, you know, yeah. like people in the urban setting that uh, just have some crappy bodega, you know, they're equally human being compared to a rich guy in a, you know, a Manhattan loft. Um, and they should have access to that. And so that was a, a big um, part of why and how I structured my financial model for my business and how I cut meat. And so that, yeah, that really informed everything like that. And then trying to take care of the earth, like those two things, that, that social quality, mm-hmm. um, and then that environmental quality are, are really the two underpinnings that, that helped me make all my decisions. And that's a pretty deep philosophical underpinning. It is. So it's really cool that you could just find a name like that, that sort of represented that. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just really want to cool. cut meat for the proletariat, uh, folks. Um, and so now that yeah. you're a couple of years into this now. Uh, I would say I'm no. I mean, all told, three and a half. Three and a half. But I would say I have been paying my bills on time for about a year and a half. That's good. Yeah, I'm happy with it. Um, the first year was very much an experimentation in the commissary kitchen. I realized that wasn't going to pan out, and so yeah. I stopped and for about six months. Um, yeah, maybe four or something. I literally rode my bike around and drove around looking for. Uh, I was like, I got to find my own space. So I tried this out at a commissary kitchen, hit a lot of walls, and I was like, all right, got to stop, reevaluate a bit. Um, I still kept cutting me for a few friends and whatever, but uh, found my own space and then built it all out <clears throat> basically with my back pocket, um, with my wallet, a um, couple close friends and stuff, loaned me a little bit of money when I got in a pinch um, to help me through, but pretty much everything out of my back pocket and <clears throat> my own kind of sweat equity, yeah. Wow, so that got you over the hump, as it were? Uh, that didn't get me over the hump. I got in and then still had a hump to get over because um, I took on more overhead. Uh, and then things started to flow. And now. And um, what was sort of the key moment for you? Like, okay, I think this can really work. Yeah, I think I took my sales background and I always loved going to wine country. And I was like, I want to be in wine country. You know, like, I also want to cultivate a certain lifestyle for myself. Um, and so I was like, man, how can I be in wine country and make money? So I literally just looked up a list of vineyards and just started cold calling vineyards. And was like, hey, can I come and sample out meat at your vineyard for free? And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Who are you? Like, what? what? <laughs> and I was like, I own a small little butcher shop. Yeah. I focus on old world meat preservation. You know, I can come out and sample some unique bacon and guanciale and sausage. And they're like, yeah, sounds great. And then that really, um, you know, kind of grassroots guerrilla marketing because I didn't have a marketing budget. You know, my marketing budget was 50 bucks maybe in my back pocket. Right. So I went out to vineyards and I said, hey, you know, like I'll come out there for the day on your wine club pickups and sample out a ton of meat, create a cool experience for your wine club members. And all I ask is like, if they like it, I can sell a piece to them. And that helps um, me recoup some of the cost. And that really kind of had a, um, that was the beginning of me really kind of becoming a successful business. Just kind of go yeah. out there and figuring it out and hustling. And yeah, just freaking hustling, man. Yeah, I mean, those days were long and hard, and I was like on my game, like talking, 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 sampling, 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 and it paid off. But what's yeah. the most satisfying thing about it to you? Is it when um, 
because I'm always curious about this, is that because obviously you have a pretty wide philosophical berth here with this whole mm -hmm. thing, is that when a customer comes up to you and says, man, I cooked this meat last night and it was like fantastic, or, or what is it? I mean, what is yeah, it? What's think, the feedback that really um, says, I, I'm gonna get out of bed every morning and just keep doing this? I think helping people see that there's a better product out there uh, and a better experience out there they didn't know exists. Uh, you know, not sound too highfalutin or anything, but I really want to help people become more fully human. And I feel like in the 21st century where we get really crappy bacon that's been pre-processed, pre-sliced, skin off, vacuum packed, cooked, frozen, thawed, and then you go home with it and it's not very salty, it's not very smoky, it has a weird texture to it. And that's what people have accepted. They've acquiesced to this like mm -hmm. um, mediocre garbage. And that's the only thing they expect. And then I give them a piece of bacon or a sausage. And, and I'm not reinventing the wheel here, man. Like my sausage recipes, my bacon recipes are very basic. Like I'm not a fancy chef. I just put the right amount of salt and stuff and some basic seasoning and that's it. And it happens to be way better than what people are accustomed to. Sure. And so people see what could be had, you know, they see something that could be better and, and, um, and then also with the fresh butchery, like they're like, oh man, I didn't know I could get such high quality, delicious meat at an affordable rate. Like this is great. You know, like this really is changing how I view things and how I'm going to buy meat. Um, it's very different and I didn't know this existed really, but this is awesome. And I'm really thankful for you providing meat to me. Um, well, that's great feedback. Yeah. So it's really, I've had nothing but really, really good feedback. I mean, I've, I've screwed up on a couple things and people are like, damn it, Zeph, that was not cool. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right, sorry. And I try to make it up to him. You know, I'm not perfect, right? I've screwed up some things. But Every uh, business is. You're right, you know, you no just kind of trip business. over your feet yeah. and then you kind of learn from that and try to say you're sorry and try to make it up to him. Um, but most of those have since gone by the wayside and things are pretty smoothed out now. Um, and so what's the future look like? Yeah, uh, the future looks like me, I, you know, my first kind of love and thing that I, I really find a ton of satisfaction in is cooking meat over an open fire. That's what got me into it, roasting a pig. And then, um, so one of the services I do is um, uh, cooking whole pigs for various parties and events or whatever, um, cooking whole chickens cooking uh, ribeye steaks over a fire, mm. um, you know, blah, 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 cooking a whole lamb over a fire. I really find a lot of satisfaction in that. Um, so I would like to do more of that. Uh, man, where am I going to be long term? I mean, can you like scale this thing? Can you find I'm apprentices not, of your own yeah, and, I mean, and I maybe do it, this? Yeah, I can scale it to a degree. I mean, to come back to another kind of economic capitalist model is like, I take seriously the idea of carrying capacity mm -hmm. and I don't want to just grow infinitely. Like I don't, I think this Starbucks model of just being across the world and giving people, you know, subpar quote unquote artisan coffee. Um, I don't think that that's a responsible economic model because you create like a monoculture. You know, if you go to Tokyo now, there's a freaking Starbucks in Tokyo. You're like, no man, let Tokyo do their own thing with coffee and go experience a Tokyo coffee experience. Not, Starbucks that you can get in Beaverton, right, you know? Like, right. I don't think that that's a healthy cultural um, idea. And so I don't ever want to have a bunch of proletariats. I'm happy to eventually 
have someone come and I'll train them up and then go back to Cleveland and do your own thing with like my skill set and my recipes and that's cool by me. Like, um, so it's kind of like the old school thing where you, um, uh, when you think about um, uh, the old days where you had, a, you know, in, there were trades and there was apprentices and then they yep. would go off and do their own thing. So every town had their own butcher yep. shop or yep. had their own uh, stable or back in the days of horse and carriages. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was just these, um, there wasn't anything mass produced or, or, or large corporations that had franchises and right. anything. Right, right. Is, is it really possible to return to that or is it just a niche I mean, this is the big question, um, yeah. and, I, and I know we're running kind of short, but I, 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 I wanted to ask you this, is because mm -hmm. how does that all fit within the context of today's society when it's, it's kind of like, it's going to be hard to turn that ship around and say, okay, yeah. we're going to proletariat style, uh, your style and your approach right. to me is going to get more widespread and everybody's going to adopt that. I mean, it's going to be hard to do, it would be hard to do. So where, how do you see yourself in this philosophy really fitting in this society? Um, I think from, you know, I think one of the avenues to make this a more widespread understanding is there's a general um, resurgence of this. Mm -hmm. And then also I'm interested in starting a YouTube channel eventually to help people see what could be. Uh, and then also just keeping my head down and not worrying about like, okay, you know, there are huge corporate entities that have way more power and influence than me. But, you know, I, I can't be concerned with that because that detracts from um, doing what's right and what's good. And so just keeping my head down and um, trying to make an impact on people for the better, client by client. Um, I think eventually I'd like to <clears throat> start like a custom kind of salume program mm -hmm. uh, where people would buy into a portion of a pig and I would hand salt and preserve mm -hmm. that for a client. Um, maybe have two locations, one more of a salting and preserving location and then one more of a fresh butchery location. I don't know. Um, the The future is, you know, yet to be here. Sounds so, like you're just gonna want to let it happen. But the the, yeah. the under the philosophical underpinning is always gonna be there for you. Yeah, absolutely. It drives yep. you. It sustains you. Yep. Um, and that that's pretty cool, I must say. Yeah. And the I only mean, other thing I would go ahead. Oh, so yeah, I mean, I think practically speaking, um, I do butchery classes, mm -hmm. uh, and those are really informative for people because a lot of people don't really understand what I'm trying to do with my butcher shop. So you come to a class, you get to go home with a ton of meat, um, have a good informative experience, and then people get what I'm trying to do more. And so just doing that, uh, animal roasting, and then the fresh butchery. Um, yeah, and just kind of keep plugging away at that. And then... Um, well, what's the biggest lesson? And, and I'll close with this because yeah. I think it's good. What's the biggest lesson you think you've learned from the entrepreneurial perspective that Oof. we could pass along to all um, of our listeners that are always curious about this? Yeah, I... It has become very... I've become very acutely aware of my shortcomings and my strengths. Uh, so do some self-digging and... and Try to be really self-aware of like where you're going to fall short and find a support system uh, before you make too many mistakes. Um, for me, what I really suck at is like accounting and technology. So i.e. like email marketing, social media, building website, all that crap, which you have to have in 2017. <clears throat> um, I'm a visionary kind of crackpot thinker that is like, doing all sorts of crazy stuff, but like figure out numbers and seeing like weekly, monthly, quarterly reports. 
um, is not my strong point and doing that. So finding an accountant or finding a bookkeeper, for me at least, um, that was my shortcoming. My strengths were, you know, uh, public speaking, um, sales calls. Like some people might not be good at sales. I'm good at sales. So I went and called vineyards and I had no problem with that. And I went and talked to people and, and got clients through that. So if you're not good at doing that, like find someone that can be good at that. Maybe you are good at accounting. And so you got that covered. So really just being self-aware and asking for help and really kind of knowing that you can't do everything. You need to put people that you trust in places to fill those gaps. Um, well, look, I, yeah. I think I think um, <laughs> I, I think what you're doing here is really cool. Um, Thanks. Uh, I like it. It's, I don't have a case on the Mondays, which I am so thankful for. Well, that, I think that's the, the, Man, the one thing like, anybody can ask for. Oh right? my goodness! Like even if I don't pay myself much one month, I'm like I still enjoyed myself and I feel satisfied and I feel grateful for what I'm doing. Well, that's what it's all about. So, so yeah, thank you so much for joining yeah, us bet. today. I, yeah, I, I, you're right. We could have gone on for hours. Uh, yeah, this could be like a four hour podcast. But, no, yeah. <laughs> but I really appreciate you being with us yeah, today. You bet. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Our special thanks today to Zef Shepard, founder of Proletariat Butchery. So, Davia, where can we find Zef and his uh, craft online? Yeah, I think the best place to start is to go to his website at proletariatmeat.com. His shop is, like I say, it's out on North Fremont, Northeast Fremont uh, towards the Cully neighborhood. But the best way to contact him, I think, is probably through his website or his, uh, his phone number will be there. And I just encourage people, uh, our audience who's listening, to either go to our podcast page or his website just to look at the images on Zeph's uh, website. He has a works with a beautiful photographer. They have this very interesting aesthetic, very, very beautifully done that, you know, again, shows the tactile nature of uh, butchery and how it's done. And it's beautiful and reverent, and it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So um, thanks, Davey, for joining me today. I know he's a, he's a fascinating person, so I appreciate yeah, you being with us today. Yeah, sure. Hey, and all of you listening today, thanks again for joining us on Making Oregon, a production of Built Oregon, the media company that tells stories to connect, instigate, and support entrepreneurs all across the state. Find out more about our online magazine, live events, and everything else by visiting builtoregon.com. Once again, I'm your host, Terry St. Marie, our engineer is Jamie Colazzo, and our great producer is Davia Larson right next to me today. So we'll all be back soon with more makers, doers, and innovators sharing stories of how they are making Oregon. <laughs>